in the New Testament. As you're turning there, because they gave me a microphone, I'm going to take this opportunity to do something that I've been wanting to do for the past four weeks. My name is Ryan Moore, and I'm the new assistant pastor here at Fort Worth Presbyterian Church. My wife is Ada. She wasn't, there she is in the back. We have four lovely girls, um, all under six. And um, on behalf of them, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for the way that you have welcomed us to Fort Worth. We came from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and the response has just been nothing short of overwhelming. Now, speechless most of the time, trying to figure out how in the world uh, are there people here who, who love so well. And, and, and it's the very least that, that we can do at this point in time, and that is just to say thank you. Um, so I say that on behalf of May and Ann Harden and Virginia and Bess and Ada, of course. So, well, great. Well, um, having said that, we are in the book of Ephesians, and we will be in chapter 4. So if you want to look there in chapter 4, we'll be beginning in verse 11 here in a, here in a minute. One of the things that I want to say about our topic this morning is that when you are entering into the field of gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are, there are two texts, really, that, that kind of um, chief texts, if you will, that support a lot of what we say and know about gifts. And one of those is in the text that we're reading here in just a minute. But I would say even more so is the one in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which I'll be referencing. But the reason I've picked Ephesians 4 is it's just a little shorter and a little more concise But I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12, chapters 12, 13, and 14 uh, for for your edification later on. Also, I think I need to say this. We are going to be talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. And due to time, this is going to be a general talk on the gifts. We're not going to get into specifics. I, I begged and pleaded for Darwin to let me do that. But he said, no, we don't have time. If I had the next week, maybe so. So we're going to stay at about 30,000 feet, and we're going to talk about the general use of gifts, which I would say is actually going to be more important and helpful as we begin to discern what our own specific gifts are, okay? Having said all that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 11 to 16. It's the Word of God. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, And the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to do a miracle, and by a miracle, we pray that you would soften our hearts. We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we may see and hear things, otherwise we could not. 
For your sake alone, we pray this. Amen. Well, two summers ago, this past weekend, actually, my family and I, there was three of us at the time, three children, returned from spending two months in Madrid, Spain with RUF and MTW. Great trip, great trip. In the very last week, MTW says, hey, we'd like, if y'all want to have a vacation, go take a few days and, and do something with your family. And so we decided to rent a car and to head south into the Spanish countryside, why not, to go visit a few of the cities down there um, that tourists would probably go see. And one of the cities we went to go see was the city of Cordoba. If you're from Memphis, you call this Cordoba, but it's pronounced by the locals Cordoba. And one of the reasons you go to Cordoba is to see this building, a structure called the Mesquita. Sounds like I'm saying mosquito, but it's mesquita. And the mesquita is this structure that was built in the 17th or the 7th century, excuse me, uh, by Christians to be a church. And then at some point in time, uh, Muslims came in and took it over. And when they took it over, they built this gorgeous mosque. As a matter of fact, it's so pretty that when Christians later on in the Reconquista took the, the, the church back over, they were so overwhelmed by what they saw inside and outside the building that they didn't burn it or destroy it. In fact, what they decided to do, which is kind of comical, is they just said, well, we're going to build a, a big cathedral coming right out of the middle of this thing, uh, and that's going to show everybody that we won. That's kind of the, the feeling you get when you see that. Um, some church historians call it the biggest middle finger in church history. I, that's just what they say. I don't know. So as we, we pull into Cordoba, we find out that our hotel is right across the river from this structure. And uh, we're tired. We've been driving for four and a half, five hours. And we just want to get into the hotel. And we want to get the kids, you know, we told them they could go swimming and get them fed and get to bed. And so as we're doing all that, the hotel manager is telling us about all the things we need to see in Cordoba. And we're trying to get to the elevators. And the last thing he says, he says, make sure, make sure you go to the rooftop tonight. And look out over the, 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 the river and see the mosquito all lit up because they light it up at night. And we're thinking, okay, yeah, sure, we'll do that. I just want to get these kids to bed. Um, so we, 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 we get checked in. We get, do the swimming thing. We eat. And, and, and we are so exhausted. Laying down with the kids, I fell asleep. And I was in my happy place until Ada woke me up and says, hey, do you want to go to the rooftop and look at those lights? And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to go to the rooftop and look at those lights. Why would I do that? But then another voice inside of me, a little stronger, said, when are you ever going to be here again in your life? And so I rallied, and groggy-eyed, grabbed the camera, and we went out and up an elevator, and we get to the rooftop. And I don't, I don't think it's an understatement to say that we were really unprepared for what we were about to see. Here is this gorgeous 7th century structure, all lit up, with lights coming from different angles, showing every single detail of the structure. There's this Roman bridge that connects it over the river, and it's lit up too, and you see the water going through it, and it's just, it's magical. Um, one of the things that I remember thinking as I was watching this is that as, as you see the floodlights sort of hitting every single angle, it's almost as if it made the building come to life. And so as I grabbed the camera, started taking pictures, I found myself wanting to get closer. And so I actually left the rooftop I was wanting to sleep 15 minutes ago, by the way. Left the rooftop, go across the street, down to the riverbanks, just to get closer to this place. Just to be near, to take more pictures. I'm so glad I decided that Ada and I should go to the rooftop that evening. 
As you know, this summer we've been doing a, a series on the Holy Spirit, if you've been with us. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And this morning we get to the gifts topic, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as we begin to talk about what these spiritual gifts do and what they for and what they are for, I want us to first think about those floodlights on that building, off that rooftop that I was describing moments ago. That is, what the Holy Spirit's one aim in its life is, is not to draw attention to itself, but to actually show you something else or someone else. And that is Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit's job is, to do nothing more than to shed light on the person and the work of Jesus. Not so that we might just sort of sit back in awe of Jesus, but that we might actually be drawn in. That we might actually want to be closer to him. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit do just this in your life. That is, they are intended to show others and yourself Jesus so that we might be overwhelmed, persuaded, some of us even, to do nothing but want to worship this Jesus. Well, having said that, I want to look at three things this morning that are printed in your bulletin. The first is, where do gifts come from? The second is, who are gifts for? And the third is, what do gifts do? So where do gifts come from? Who are gifts for? And what do gifts do? Let's look at the first one. Where do gifts come from? Gifts come from God. Gifts come from God. You'll look at verse 11 with me. The first three words that Paul says there, and he gave. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to us by God. They are, in one sense, coming to us in the mail, addressed to us from God. And the Holy Spirit, Paul talks about this more in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 11, is actually working to put these gifts on display in your life. Which means then that we are stewards of these gifts and not owners. Now, now why do I start here? Isn't it obvious that gifts of the Holy Spirit come from the Holy Spirit, that they come from God? And I want to just be personally honest, I don't think that it is. I don't think that it's that obvious, if I'm being honest. If I'm being honest with you this morning, and if I've been here this whole, through this whole series, the Holy Spirit is a little confusing to me. I'm just going to say that. I get the whole uh, Trinity thing. I, I get that, that it's something that we believe. I get the Father's decreeing all things. That makes sense to me. The Son complying and, and, and submitting to the Father's will and making those things happen. And then there's the Spirit that somehow complying and, and working out, really applying and executing both the will of the Father and the Son in our lives. That's kind of hard for me. That's a little confusing. In one sense, it's as if the Holy Spirit is the special forces in our lives, going in and making real what is said to be legally true about us. And like special forces, you don't see them, but you know that they've been there. But that's confusing still. It's hard for me. And now according to Paul, this invisible being is bringing me presents, gifts, I say all this to make the point that when we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, it is confusing not just for us, but for many others, and that's okay. 
That is perfectly fine, and Paul is perfectly okay with that. We aren't sure if these gifts are coming to us from God or if we're to go pick them up somewhere because, look, that would be a lot easier, wouldn't it, if I could just kind of go to the store, get a few boxes of hospitality, maybe a few cans of evangelism, then at least I would know that this is what I have, that these are the gifts that he has given me and that I have to use, but it's not like that at all. Maybe you have asked yourself, which gifts do I feel like I have? Which ones do I prefer? Maybe you've asked the question, am I supposed to have all of these gifts? Is that really the goal of the Christian, to be this person that somehow uh, ends up at the end of life with all the things that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians or 1 Corinthians 12 to 14? Is that what God wants me to do? What if I don't like my gifts? Maybe that's a question you've had. Is there an exchange policy Sort of like grandma's slipper socks for Christmas. Can I take these back for something else? Nothing against slipper socks. How much say or control do I have in the matter really becomes the question. And this is exactly why we must start in verse 11. And he gave. And he gave. Verse 11 must set the tone for our conversation this morning because what this means for us is that we are receivers of his goodness. That's our posture, one of receiving. We are stewards of these gifts, not owners, stewards. And so as stewards of these gifts, there are some ground rules that we need to either remember or set One of those ground rules is that God is not asking you to go out and produce produce these gifts in your life this morning. That is, somehow to merit the status before him as a good Christian in producing these things. That would be sort of confusing gifts with fruit. You are already pleasing to God in Christ. Gifts are just another example of his goodness towards us. Second, as stewards... God is not asking you to get yourself in a place where you are worthy enough to receive these gifts. And so what's important is understanding, rather, and we'll look at this in a second, how and where the Holy Spirit is cultivating these gifts in your life. Lastly, as as stewards, it is vital to not think of these gifts as merit badges, as if it were some race to see who can acquire all of them. Rather, in his perfect timing... He has placed all of us where we ought to be, and he has gifted us for that work appropriately. Think about how you buy gifts for others. Maybe you bought a gift recently for a friend or maybe a son or a daughter or a spouse. Don't we all buy age-appropriate gifts in that situation? I mean, nobody buys a rattlesnake and brings it to a three-year-old's birthday party in one sense. I hope not. We can talk about that afterwards. Rather, we give gifts with thought to the person and where they are in life, and so does the Father. He is the good gift giver. We are stewards of these gifts. And so as we begin here, as this sets the tone, we begin to see that Christianity isn't really weird or difficult because because there is a Holy Spirit that's bringing us gifts. Christianity is difficult and confusing and weird and hard because we're asked to trust that the gift giver is actually good, that he knows you, that he knows what what you need, that he knows your friends, and he knows others and what they need, that he knows what his church needs for its service. 
And this is hard for us because we want control in the matter. We want to say in it. And this morning, I really just want you to find rest in the fact and in the words, and he gave. To somehow sit back and rest under the promise that God has not withheld anything from you. He has not withheld anything good from you at all. Rather, he has given you a gift or gifts. And in a moment, we'll look at those. Because he is the good gift giver. It is his nature. And stewardship must set the tone for what we are going to talk about this morning. This is the first point. Where do gifts come from? And they come from God. Not my merit, not my works, but his goodness. Second, who are the gifts for? Gifts are for God's church. They're for God's church. When we begin to think about the questions, what are my gifts? How do I know what my gifts are? We must start with who. Who are the gifts for? How is the Holy Spirit going about the business of cultivating these gifts? And the answer is his church. God is giving spiritual gifts specifically to his church for his kingdom and nowhere else. Why is this helpful? It means that gifts are not given just to you for your well-being and happiness. And I think this is extremely important as I reflect on my own life and a hyper-individualistic culture that we live in. By default, I have the tendency to think about my gifts and only my gifts and how they pertain to me and what I am doing instead of thinking about the place and the purpose those gifts were intended and where they might actually be suited for. His gifts are intended for his church. And as we look at the church as the place and the purpose of gifts, we notice two things in the text. First, his gifts equip the church. And second, we see that it, they actually unify, bring unity to the great diversity of the church. Look at verse 12 there. Paul continues referring to these gifts that God has given, that they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Well, what does it mean to equip the church? It might be a question that you have this morning. God has given his church all kinds of gifts. In chapter 4, the verses that we just read, the gifts are actually the, the apostles and the prophets and the preachers and the teachers, etc. In other words, they are tools for growing the church so it can do what it was created to do. In other places, especially 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, don't go there. Some are word gifts, we see. Some are gifts of wisdom, gifts of discernment. Maybe you have the ability of really bringing clarity into someone's life as you listen to them and speak truth, truth, truth into their life. Uh, prayer. Yes, we are all called to pray. Uh, this is no excuse to get you out of that. But it is very, very true that there are many of us in here who are just better prayers but also, maybe more importantly, prayer is the, is the one thing that the Lord has given you where you really feel his presence. There are gifts of service, such as ministries of mercy aimed at the marginalized and the poor of our communities. Some are gifts of hospitality. Right? Some are gifts of opening our doors to strangers. Evangelism, the ability to share the good news that God has for others. Some gifts are given in specific times and purposes throughout the course and the life of the church that we see. Some gifts are no longer needed. 
some gifts are more evident in other parts of the world than, than they are in other places. All to say, gifts of the Holy Spirit are for equipping God's church, his body, and moving it forward to be the church that God has intended for it to be. A few observations about gifts in the Bible at this point. Paul is never giving us an exhaustive list of these gifts. He's simply naming what he sees and showing people how these gifts and how the Holy Spirit is working in their lives, is equipping the church and building the church up for the kingdom. And this becomes really helpful. It becomes so helpful all of a sudden. Because my question becomes not so much what are my gifts, which is an important question and what I want you to be asking, but rather where do I find myself equipping and building up the kingdom of God? Where and how am I playing a role in the kingdom of Jesus and not just my own kingdom and how I want it to be built? See, that is a completely different question for us. And it's one that cannot be answered apart from the kingdom itself. It cannot be answered apart from the church. So first, gifts are for the church in order for uh, the church to be equipped to do ministry, to grow it up in Christ's likeness. But second, not only do gifts equip us, we see that Paul says that they actually bring unity to the church. They unify the church there. But look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of, st- of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When it comes down to it, gifts ultimately unify the rich diversity of the church. I do like movies, and a movie that I've been, I actually like re-watching movies. Uh, some people might think that's weird, but a movie that I've been re-watching lately for, I have no idea why, is a movie called Moneyball, uh, which uh, stars the Brad Pitt. And Moneyball comes from the book uh, Moneyball by Michael Lewis, and it tells a story of ex-ball player Billy Bean, who is the general manager of the Oakland A's, and how he takes this ragtag bunch of people, these players, uh, onto a historic season in 2002. Um, to make a long story short, Billy Bean is in, uh, in, in, in an effort to really try to compete with other ball programs that have four times the amount of money uh, that his program has, begins looking for players that nobody else would look for and buy. One, mainly because they're cheaper. But all these players have something in common that he goes for, and that is they all have high on-base percentages. Because to Billy, if you're going to win ball games, you've got to have runs, and if you're going to have runs, you've got to get on base. And so we're going to go for players that can get on base. Some of these players have never played the position they've been hired for. Most of them are what, what, what scouts call unorthodox ball players. But in the end, they get the job done. And while there's a moment there of everybody just sort of laughing at this group of players on the field that nobody knows about, nobody is laughing when the team in 2002 pulls off a 20-game winning streak, the longest winning streak in the history of Major League Baseball, and then going from that to actually making the playoffs with a bunch of nobodies. I think you can say that Billy had the last laugh. What does this have to do with the Holy Spirit and with unity? Good question. By the time the movie's over, I find myself reflecting back on how he did it. How in the world did these players all come together to be here on this field as different as they were? And some would say, well, they're all here because of their love for baseball. But many people love baseball. As a matter of fact, they, looked, they overlooked hundreds of people who love baseball and who were actually better at it than these players. 
Rather, you begin to see what, what, what brought these players together, what ultimately unified them was their gifts, specifically their gifts for getting on base. I don't think it's that far off from the church. What brings unity to this place, in one sense, is our gifts because we are all working towards the same thing, and that is God's kingdom. Don't you ever stop as you come in these doors, ever, ever stop and sort of ask, how in the world did we all get together here on Sunday morning? And there's some similarity here, don't get me wrong, but we are a, we are a weird bunch, if I could say that. The church, not Fort Worth Press, of course, the church in general. And you know, even if you go outside of Fort Worth, you think about the world and what is happening today that, that million, billions of Christians are worshiping together from all different places, but somehow we've all come together for a specific purpose, and that is a kingdom that isn't, it's just, have you ever wondered that? And I never get tired of it. I never get tired of hearing about it and what it looks like and what, what's going on. And the reason that's happening, one of the reasons that's happening, is because of the way God has gifted us. And he has gifted us for the purpose of bringing us together to unify us in one body for his kingdom. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So that his kingdom might flourish, and maybe you might say this, so that ours might die, so that we might live. It's as one pastor writes, spiritual gifts bring unity to a place where there is rich diversity. What gifts remind us of is our common horizon of the kingdom of God. That is, first and foremost, before we come in here, we are members of a body of believers that extends well outside the walls of this building and certainly outside the, the walls of the city. We are all part of and serving another kingdom, and to that end, the Holy Spirit is giving us talents, is giving us tools, if you will, for every aspect of that kingdom so that it might flourish. So gifts are for God's church. They equip his people for ministry. They bring unity to his people for the sake of his kingdom. Let's apply this briefly. First, as we see in verses 12 to 13, all gifts, all gifts should be producing Christ-likeness in our life. This is, friends, the real blessing of the gift. It is not the gift itself. It is that it brings about Christ-likeness in the life of the church. And so the question that we might ask ourselves this morning is, is the gift or gifts that God has given me, are they bringing Christ-likeness out in a way that others would say that's true? Are you willing to ask them? Second, because gifts are given to the church specifically, the church is also the place where we find out what our gifts are. If someone were to ask, how do I know what my gifts are? Where do I find them? And that's, again, a question we should be asking. The church will tell you. Now, not in some stale sense where if you were to set up an appointment with uh, Pastor Jordan and you were to go into his office and, and, and he would look at you as he does and says, what do you want? Um, and, and if you're new here, that's not how he looks at you. And he, you say, well, Pastor Jordan, I want to know what my gifts are. And he would just sort of scribble something on a piece of paper and say, here you go. That's not how this works, thankfully, at least not in this place. The way the, way the church recognizes gifts is is just that. They recognize them. Gifts are identified by the body of church as you live your lives out in front of these people, as the Holy Spirit is interacting in each one of us. Gifts are identified 
over the lifetime of a believer as the Holy Spirit is, is at work in their life. And as you allow, and this might be the hardest part, as you allow people into your life to look in and speak into what they see, what is going on, this is how God has ordained his church to identify those gifts. And so you might be thinking or talking to someone saying, Rachel, you know, we've been friends for a long time, and I just want to say, I want to thank you, first of all, for just the wisdom that you have spoken to my life over the past years during hard times and and, and hard situations that I've been going through. You might really have the gift of wisdom and discernment. Or maybe you say, John, I don't know what it is, but I love when you and your family invite us over for dinner. Not only is the food wonderful, but there's something about the way that you all make this place feel and welcome it, welcome others into it. You you might just have the gift of hospitality, of showing strangers and friends the love of Christ through food and through just enjoyment and entertainment. So we begin to know what our gifts are by listening to the church, by allowing the Holy Spirit in the lives of others to recognize those gifts. And this also becomes important because we can choose gifts, I know that I can, for the wrong motives and purposes. For example, we might desire the attention or the praise or the reputation that certain gifts can give us instead of the purpose they serve in building up and equipping the kingdom of God. We might think to ourselves, you know, I just want to be thought of as so-and-so because they are just a great teacher, and so, well, you know what, I'm going to teach too. Can we, ease, we can easily begin to find our value and our identity in the gift. But have others in your, your life recognize that about you? Better yet, have you allowed people in your life to speak truth in in that way and to ask them, hey, do you see this to be true about me? So we figure our gifts out by allowing the church to recognize them. Third, our gifts are not a measure of our or others' spirituality, and I cannot stress that enough. Do not confuse busyness with holiness. Do not confuse busyness with maturity, with growing up. We said earlier that gifts are not fruits of the Spirit. Those are two different things. And this is where that distinction is important. It is so easy to mistake the doing our gifts offer us as what Christianity is all about. It's easy to feel spiritual by going about and doing a bunch of things. But this could also be a misuse of our gifts. You are always justified before you are sanctified, which is you are always found lovely before you go and do lovely things for God's kingdom. And that, is, that, that has got to sit front and center as we begin the process of discerning how God has gifted us. Lastly, as it pertains to equipping the church, I want to encourage you to do this. Just jump in somewhere. Just jump in. Look, God has gifted every single one of you. Some of you have one gift. Some of you have multiple gifts. It doesn't matter. You've got something. So jump in somewhere. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Maybe you don't. Find a way to exercise that and try it. Maybe you have the amazing ability to organize and bring just clarity to uh, a messy desk. Come see me at my office. I do not have that gift of administration. That is not me, all right? There's, there's hundreds of more that we could talk about. As one pastor says concerning gifts of the Spirit, gifts are discovered in service. Therefore, we need to try a lot of different things. And if I could kind of go off script here, I think it's really, um, how should I put this? I think it's a challenge for us in reform circles 
or in places where we, 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 we do, we need to take the studying of God's Word to be the most important thing. I think it's a challenge for us to think that the only gifts that are valuable and worthy are those that are teaching. And that is certainly not the case, and it is certainly not in Scripture. Another way you might think about how God has gifted you, you may not know what it is, but he has gifted you, and to not use that gift that the Holy Spirit has given you for that service would be against the will of the Holy Spirit. So enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ to jump in somewhere and to try something, to find out where you might begin to serve. God's kingdom is always inviting us to explore and serve. Need I say... What a better time in the life of Trinity and Fort Worth Presbyterian Church to figure that out, to jump in somewhere and to see what the Lord might do through you for his kingdom. Gifts are for God's church. They're for equipping his church and unifying his church. Lastly, what do the gifts do? Ryan, it sounded like you just told us what the gifts did. Gifts equip and they unify. Got it. Let's go to lunch. Well, there's something more than just the practical, and it's actually the most important. As a matter of fact, I want to suggest that the equipping of the church with gifts for ministry and the unifying for her as one body is only a means to a much, much, much better end. Our gifts that the Holy Spirit is cultivating within us serve the greater purpose of showing you and me Jesus. That's what our gifts do. It would be so easy for us as a church and really so easy for me as a pastor to just sort of give you some gifts or identify those gifts and let you kind of come and go uh, with the church, into the church, whatever, around the community, like as if you're punching in a clock on your day job to go to work. But to do so would strip these gifts of their beauty, which is to show Jesus to each other. And Paul is so aware of this. In fact, he's so aware of how easy it is to make these spiritual gifts of God an end of themselves. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 1. You don't have to flip there. He says, look, all these gifts are great. All the gifts you're talking about, they're great, sure. But listen, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. In other words, gifts are not the end. Jesus and his kingdom is But something has to be present in the midst of those gifts to show others that end, to show others the glories of that kingdom, and that has to be love. It is interesting to me that one of the most familiar chapters on love, especially in the midst of wedding season, is 1 Corinthians 13. But isn't it also interesting to note that on either side, sandwiched in the middle, on either side of of chapter 13 are Two chapters completely on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that is not by mistake. Ephesians paraphrases for us, verse 15, saying we must what? Speak the truth in love, growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then Paul concludes in verse 16 how the body of Christ builds itself up in love. The most important thing our gifts could ever do is to show each other in the world Jesus. But that only happens when love is present in our desire and our actions to share our gifts with others. Without love, our gifts are stale. And actually, actually, they're probably very harmful. Love can be, and I get it, such an abstract thing. There are as many definitions for love as there are personalities and people. But in the gospel, Love is always sacrificial. 
It is always sacrificial. And so when we begin as stewards, receiving from God, as we said, when we humble ourselves to think about his kingdom, not our own, his church, the place that his gifts are given, we are entering into a love that is causing us to die to ourselves for something greater. And therein lies the beauty. Therein lies the magic of what our gifts do. When coupled with love that is sacrificial, they show each other in this world Jesus. And that is the Holy Spirit's aim in all of this. That's all he wants to do. Not to be seen like those floodlights in Cordoba, but to shed light on what deserves to be seen. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life through your gifts He wants you to tell the story of grace and mercy. He wants you to tell the story of compassion and love. And he wants you to tell the story of hope and of grace. And he wants you to tell that story in your homes and your workplaces and everywhere you go. But that story has a name. And that story has a face. And it's Jesus. It is not Ryan. It is not Brian. It is not Darwin. It is Jesus. So as I'm discerning, how God has gifted me as I'm trying to figure out where I'm fitting in within his kingdom, within his body, I actually begin to be less concerned about what that gift is and more concerned with how it is showing Jesus to others and to myself. Maybe I'm wondering if I am gifted to teach. Well, you might ask yourself, am I more interested in the applause I get when I teach Or does the fact that I get to open the scriptures and show Jesus to others, that excites me. Hospitality. Nothing shows the love Jesus has for outsiders and for strangers more than this. Is your house, is the ability that you have to entertain, the oven that you cook on, is that yours? Or do you take joy in stewarding them because you, with every spoonful, with every taste around the table, people are experiencing and tasting the goodness of Christ, and that just overwhelms you. That's what drives you. It is no small thing to cook a meal and to break bread with someone simply because that is exactly where Jesus has said he will meet us. In discerning your gifts, you might ask what brings you excitement and joy Tim Keller says, if you have perfect pitch and you stand next to a piano, the note you sing will cause the corresponding string in the piano to vibrate. It's often the way with our gifts, too. What needs, what problems, what tasks cause you to vibrate, to get excited, to have joy? Ministries of mercy, being the tangible hands and feet of the church, to marginalize people is a service, is, is, is a job that, that the church has been entrusted with. Why do you do it? Is it because it's trendy? Do you find yourself to be the only person frustrated because you're the only one who cares about poor people? Or is the gift of mercy towards others not just the physical hands and feet of Jesus But it's for you as well, that you give mercy to others because you know deep down inside you've been shown mercy, and this is how you experience and taste that goodness. That in those acts of service, you are actually communing with God too. You are enjoying him and his gospel for you, and it excites you. 
This is how we know where God is calling us in his kingdom. I joke with people, but I'm pretty serious. When people ask me, Ryan, why did you become a pastor? And I say, I became a pastor so that, well, God called me to be a pastor so that I would be forced to read my Bible. So I'd be forced to be close to him. Y'all, gifts are grace. Gifts are grace. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be close to him. He wants you to be drawn to him. Are you enjoying him? Where do you meet with him outside of yourself? So much more to say, this is what our gifts are for. They're for sharing Jesus to others and to ourselves. So we've seen where do gifts come from. They come from the church. What are gifts for? They're for his church. Where do gifts come from? They come from God. What are they, who are they for? The forest church, and what do gifts do? They tangibly display Jesus to others. Well, in closing, I want to bring us back to that rooftop image of those floodlights from earlier. And like those floodlights, how I said that the Holy Spirit is making the glory and the majesty of Christ visible for all to see through our gifts so that we wouldn't just be in awe, but that we would actually be drawn in, that we desire to get closer to him closer to Jesus than anything else, I want to leave you with a question. Are you still being drawn in? What is drawing you in this morning? Is Jesus more beautiful to you, or is there something else taking center stage? Because what Jesus wants from you, what he wants from you more than what What your gift could possibly bring and provide to the kingdom of God, what he wants from you is you. He wants you, and he wants you so much that he's willing to die to make sure that that is an eternal reality. What could be more beautiful than that? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul and for his words to the church in Ephesus and all of Scripture. We thank you for how it is your goodness to us. And as we contemplate and consider how you have gifted us and what that's for and how do we discern those things, may we start with where the Holy Spirit starts, and that is with shining light on Jesus for others to see. Would that be our aim? Would that be our love? And that would be our joy? We pray this in your son's name. Amen.